Support for NPR and the following message come from the Lagunitas Brewing Company, helping bands reach more ears through beers, because the perfect soundtrack for music is a Lagunitas IPA. Hear more at Lagunitas.com. Well, guys, we made it. <laughs> we yes, did it. The finish line. <laughs> we finally got to the end of our look back at the past decade in music on All Songs Considered. I'm Robin Hilton, and joining us again is NPR Music Sydney Madden. Hello. And Stephen Thompson. It's good to be here. I feel like 2016 is the final boss <laughs> of, of the last 10 years. It's the you most... You made it past all the levels. Yep. Is... And now you are up dealing with the, the parade of deaths and misery. Oh. Well, that's right. Uh, on this episode, we go all the way back <laughs> to, well, just last year, yep. 2016. I was trying to think, well, how do I sum up the year 2016? And like the two things that kept coming to mind are all the just the staggering amount of towering figures we lost in music. And then there were some high points that we'll get to. But let's start with what was one of the biggest losses of the year and also happened right at the top of the year. David Bowie releases Black Star, and mm-hmm. two days later, he dies. And we couldn't have begun to imagine all the artists we would lose after him, that mm-hmm. it, what a harbinger it, it turned out to be. Yeah, this one was brutal, and, and it, it's the, the year started out seeming like such a triumph for David Bowie because this record was enormously well-received, It kind of, but I think it also still kind of surprised people with, the, with just the depth of its, of its grace and beauty, and so there was really this feeling, you know, in the first few days of January as people were hearing this record for the first time, like, wow, it's, it's David Bowie's year, like it's going to be yeah. like yeah. all year long, oh, I can't wait to see him perform this live, just the sense of promise. And then you wake up, I think it was Monday morning, and he's gone. I mean, that was, I mean, unfortunately, it was a harbinger for a whole lot of really painful deaths, uh, some of which we'll get to. But I mean, just names we might not. I mean, Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire, Fife Dog, Glenn Fry, Merle Haggard, Leonard Cohen, Leon Russell, Sharon Jones. Right. It just, they just kept hitting. And Prince right in the middle of well, the year. Yeah. We are 
Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything will be alright. remember my um my dad is a huge prince fan and he texted me my, my father never texts by the way <laughs> so this is one of the first texts i've ever received from him he's like is this true prince is dead and i was like that's not true there's no way that's true and how then could you get prince, online. Yeah. how could prince go exactly. prince should bury us all <laughs> prince prince shall outlive us all legends never die but yeah i remember a lot of a lot of radio stations radio stations that do not even cover this genre were playing prince for the rest of the week to memorialize him. And Beyonce, who we shall get to later, yeah. she actually memorialized Prince throughout her whole world tour that same year. It was it was insane to see the amount of love and and shock that came with his death. Yeah. Well, there were, there were so many artists we lost that were shocking just because we didn't, like nobody knew David Bowie was sick. Right. Nobody knew about the addiction battle that Prince was suffering right. through at the, at the time. We had to come to terms not only with losing them, but with the fact that they were going through so much pain beforehand, too. Right. Well, and also you you had deaths that seemed to coincide with album releases. That happened several times. It happened with Leonard Cohen, where you're like, you get a sense like this record is his victory lap and maybe it's his last record. You know, he was 83. But to have it have it happen almost concurrently was really just tough to take. It was a very, very hard year for for fans of so, so many artists. Well, let's talk about what was one of the biggest highlights of the year, and that was basically uh, the two things I said at the top of the show, two things I think about all the artists we lost, and then I think Beyonce, because (laughs) she just, she pretty much owned 2016. (laughs) And um, let's start with uh, her performance at the Super Bowl. You just might be a black Bill Gates in the making. Once again, the powerhouse, uh, Beezus Christ, that we all love and adore. <laughs> she totally dominated 2016. And as you said, Robin, it really started with the Super Bowl. That was one of the flagpole moments of the year for her. A day before the Super Bowl on February 6th, she dropped the Formation music video exclusively mm-hmm. on Tidal. The Melina Matsukas directed video featured a lot of imagery of old Southern Creole culture. There were references to Hurricane Katrina, and it directly aligned B with the Black Lives Matter movement. So then when she took the stage accompanying Bruno Mars and Coldplay for the 2016 <laughs> Super Bowl. I'm sorry. As I, almost, I kind of felt sorry for Coldplay. <laughs> I know, totally took over their moment. Because I have have really loved that band, but anyway, I digress. Um, (laughs) When she 
took over the Super Bowl, kind of really just strong-armed them out of it with her performance. She got a lot, she got some backlash for it because the costumes that her and her dancers adorned themselves with were similar, some would say, to the Black Panther Party. It also made reference to the Black Lives Matter movement and what some political analysts diluted her message saying that because she was pro-Black Lives Matter that she was adamantly anti-police, which is something she something she refuted in interviews later. Um, And she would go on to actually embrace that controversy, selling, quote, boycott Beyonce tour merch on her world tour. But the real bomb that she dropped on us all came in April, April 23rd, when after just a week of promo via HBO, she dropped her visual album, Lemonade. second type of visual album from Beyonce, but it was on a whole nother level. It was actually a television event because it was highly conceptual and everything was on a much grander scale. Everything was totally connected. There were monologues, there were choreography breaks, and there was, again, imagery connected to the Old South, to Black Lives Matter movement, and just really embracing her blackness in a way that she had never done. And what I love the best, you can tell I'm a Beyonce stan, by the way, guys. What I love- I'm just sitting back, you go, you just go ahead. We are all with you. <laughs> what I love the most about this Lemonade album is that it tells her story in a poetic and a prophetic way. There are two linear stories. There's the personal story where she had found out that her husband, Jay-Z, had cheated on her, and each song is a way of working through the stages of emotions associated with that, similar to how you work through emotions when you process a death. And then there's a more common story that she touches upon, which are emotions that women feel every day. Uh, Worrying about your children, worrying about if you're working hard enough, being seen as a boss, being seen as a bitch, being seen as sexy, having suppressed sexuality, dealing with racial politics, all that stuff. So she had two linear stories going throughout the whole time, along with this out of this world imagery that would later earn her Emmy nominations for the short film. I have HBO or had it at the time mm-hmm. and I was seeing the, the teaser videos for it and the the way they did it they just 
they just piqued my curiosity in a way that I it doesn't normally happen when I see things like that. It was I was like, awe-inspired. what is this? Yeah. What is this thing? I'm sitting down, I'm tuning in. And uh, it was really funny. When we were talking with NPR Music Editor Jacob Gantz about what things should we cover in these podcasts that look at the past decade, somebody said, you know, everyone remembers where they were when, when they saw Lemonade. <laughs> and and my, my living room is where the TV is. <laughs> yeah. And he said, yeah, in front of their TV. But it was crazy because it really was a television event. In a time yeah. when everything is so streamed and yeah. at your fingertips whenever you want, she made people stop and take a Saturday night off and everyone was live tweeting about it but you couldn't get it unless you were huddled around your TV which is what she wanted to accomplish I I just think there's so much to be said for how much higher she aims yes every time every time then she might have to you know like she could have stayed in a lane and made a bunch of just jam after jam after jam she has a bunch of the best pop jams you will ever hear in your life And her last record, just the self, the self-titled Beyonce record, mm-hmm. is one of my just one of my favorite albums of the last decade. I'm absolutely in love with that record. I've I've that's my in the car record. And the fact that she took that record, which was so enormously well received and so successful and so artistically ambitious in its own right, and found a way to raise the stakes on that, in addition to how much I love the music and how different so many of the songs are on that record from one to the next, you've got a country song over yep. here and you've got that incredible song with Kendrick Lamar over here. like And rock, just straight up rock, rock like, with Jack, Jack White. Jack White. Oh, you know, it's, it's, I'm just so impressed with the constant pushing of her own creative limits. She is an awe-inspiring talent. I mean, it's been said a million times by smarter people than me, <laughs> but she's awesome. Yeah. There was a <laughs> she's time... pretty good. She's pretty good. <laughs> there was a time in my life when I really thought Beyonce was a robot. I, I honestly... I... It's the only way. It's yeah. a, there's it's the, the only... there's no way. She's not real. We could spend the entire podcast talking about Beyonce. (laughs) But Sydney, you mentioned how Lemonade, when it first aired, it was not this streamed, you know, it was was appointment viewing, right? Right. And there's very little appointment viewing anymore Mm -hmm. uh, that people will bother to show up for. But on the issue of streaming, another thing that happened in 2016 was that the Grammys finally acknowledged streaming-only releases, um, decided to start considering albums that are only available for stream. What were the rules beforehand, and and how exactly have they changed? Well, um, on May 15th, the Recording Academy, as you said, officially announced that streaming-only projects would become eligible. And this was a huge moment of acknowledgement for technology's role in the music industry Mm -hmm. that had never really been called upon before. And it was definitely a special nod to independent artists. And no one embodied this moment of triumph more than the SoundCloud phenom, Chance the Rapper. You don't want zero problems, big fella. Yup. If one more label try to stop me, it's gonna be some dread. Chance, who is a Chicago-born rapper, he was notoriously stayed independent throughout his entire career, and he has always remained adamant about giving away his music for free on streaming services. So because of the rule change... Meaning he won't do it. Exactly. Meaning he makes all of his money from touring and merch rather than Mm -hmm. 
rather than selling the music on iTunes per se. And his 2016 mixtape, Coloring Book, would go on to win three Grammys at the 2017 ceremony as a result of this rule change. So he took home gramophones in the categories of Best Rap Album, Best New Artist, and Best Rap Performance because of the rule change. Do you think Coloring Book led to the change? I mean, what, what came first? Oh, well, the, the Grammy rule change happened on May 15th. Coloring Book came out May 13th. Wow. So, <laughs> so the rule change was like, well, no, uh, yeah. we want to consider this one. Yeah. I mean, so many Grammy rule changes are reactions to embarrassments mm-hmm. by the Grammys. Mm-hmm. Being behind the times. Yeah, to have, like, like when you had, was it uh, Tony Bennett Unplugged, one album of the year? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, all right, well, we're going to have a committee pick the, <laughs> the nominees. <laughs> or, or, the, or, you know, Macklemore winning, sweeping the hip hop awards. <laughs> Over and, Kendrick Lamar. And when that happened, I was like, Kendrick Lamar will win every Grammy going forward as compensation as atonement atonement for this incredibly tragic misstep well we shall see I I have to say I'm just going to throw in I'm glad that they're considering streaming only releases now I'm just going to throw in my crotchety old man point of view and just say it drives me freaking bonkers that I can't buy this record. Oh, yeah. You know, like... The Kanye the, West record. Is well, like, oh, no, I'm doing a coloring book. It's like, I, I'm sorry, I plead ignorance if it's out there, but I have not been able to find, like, I, I went like to... Like a physical copy? Like, I want to, like, download. I want to... I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it, but the only way I've been able to listen to it is through uh, my streaming service that I sub- subscribe to. It's like, I want this record. Right. And I, I, like, I went to Amazon thinking, I'm just going to buy the physical record. Yeah. And I couldn't find just the physical, at least not in Amazon. I believe there were su- very limited physical releases. Yeah, that's, I mean, great, fine. I, but, I, it, but it drove me bonkers just trying to figure out how to hear this record. I'm, yeah. with, I'm with you, man. I, <laughs> I will, I'm standing, I'm your neighbor on the adjacent porch <laughs> yelling at the same kids you are. I, I'm offline all the time. I want to I take yeah. my music offline. Yeah, exactly. Harumph. <laughs> Anyway, pish posh. <laughs> pish. Uh, on that note, we have to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Support for NPR Music's 10th anniversary and the following message come from Isotope, makers of Spire Studio, the portable multi-track recording system that lets you easily capture, mix, and edit professional quality songs wherever and whenever inspiration strikes. With built-in Wi-Fi, Spire Studio seamlessly connects to the Spire app, so you can ditch the cables to collaborate and share with bandmates and fans around town or around the world. Learn more at spire.live. It's All Songs Considered. I'm Robin Hilton uh, here with Sidney Madden and Stephen Thompson. We're looking back at the year 2016 and music. And one of the important highlights of the first half of the year was the release of Gucci Mane. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not from, a, not from, an album, but his, <laughs> yes, his, his actual himself. release, his, his actual his, coming out. His release from prison. Yes. Uh, Sydney, what landed him there in the first place? Um, he was arrested back in 2013. He had a number of charges against him going um, back before he was even really rapping. But it was a 2013 firearms charge that landed him with a 39-month sentence. In He went to prison in 2013, and a lot of fans didn't really know when he was coming out, although he was one of the most adamant and respectable prison rappers. He would drop a mixtape every few months when he was in jail. I remember From prison. From prison. 2015. You know, good acoustics in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the a phone natural, lines must have been very... Natural <laughs> reverb effect. I, yeah. I so um, on May 26, 2016, 
Gucci's longtime girlfriend, Keisha Kior, she sent out a video confirming that he was home from jail. And over the next few days, weeks, and months, we had a full Gucci main immersion of him being back. He dropped music almost every day. He collaborated with new and old rappers in the hip-hop world. He dropped two albums that year. He did collaborations with streetwear brands like Supreme. He did magazine covers. He did in-depth interviews about his time in jail, his moments of redemption, and his determination to come back stronger than ever. And the the thing about this that makes this such a triumphant story is sometimes when rappers go to jail, if they go to jail for a certain amount of time too long, their fan bases can forget about yeah. them. They can kind of miss the boat on the whole comeback. But Gucci was really determined to capitalize on his his comeback moment. And you could see through his own demeanor, he lost a bunch of weight. He went vegan for a little bit. He got totally off drugs. He committed himself to his relationship with Keisha Kuyor, who had held him down the whole time in prison. It was really just a triumphant story that continues to unfold now in this year. But in 2016, that was a shining moment for him. He was literally a, a, a new person. He was, it was yeah. physically, so mentally, much everything. so that people thought he was a clone. People on Twitter. <laughs> oh, so he's a robot he's a too. He's a robot as well. We, I'm <laughs> sensing a theme. 2017. If you want cyborgs. If you want the perfect picture of Gucci Mane's 2016, uh, look at the still we ran with his Tiny Desk concert. And that guy, <laughs> Sydney, you can't see it. Sydney just did a, a yes. did the gesture. But that guy's smile yeah. is visible from the sun. And it's genuine yeah. because he's been through hell and he came back stronger than ever yeah. it's it's amazing it was nice to see let's hear a little bit of his tiny desk performance you witnessing history in the making huh. it's the human highlight film Goo-off. yeah we can't have some fun with y'all today 1017 british squad records we do it, we do it, we do it. It's like the last time we ever gonna do it. Okay, we got something else for y'all. Hey. We got some more so he's been out for a little more, little more than a year now. At this point, yeah. Yeah, and so has he continued to release music at a feverish pace? He slowed down a little bit. He's gone more the fashion route now and he's definitely, as I said, he embraced his relationship with Keisha Kior. They just recently got married and they had a special about it on BET. And I would say in 2017 to 2018 we will hear more, much more music from him. We've been talking a lot about all the artists we've lost uh, particularly in 2016 and there's something else we lost in 2016 a single tear rolling down <laughs> Stephen Thompson's cheek and that was American Idol finally American said goodbye Idol. after 15 years 16, 16 years I think, yeah I know you were a fan certainly early on with that show. <laughs> I mean, a fan, God, it was such a love-hate relationship. Yeah. I watched that show for a very long time because I felt like it was culturally relevant enough that I needed to watch it. The The cultural conversation around that show, it was a sense of like, we are watching pop stars being made. And, and for a time... You wanted to see what factory spits out Carrie Underwood's, mm -hmm. um, and, and, and like Adam Lambert, or Adam Lambert, yeah. uh, which is a, he's a little bit one of the last relevant 
people to come out of that show. But for a while, like, I mean, Kelly Clarkson won the first season and Kelly Clarkson continues to be a a juggernaut and also awesome. Um, That was the the one out of all of them. That was mm -hmm. the the first one was the one that first one, best one. I was just like, I talk about appointment viewing. It was like, Mm -hmm. I got to get I got to get home. I mean, I was so on the edge of my seat for that. And I wanted instead of looking at the last episode, the series finale, I thought we could look back to the finale of season one. Kelly, Justin, <laughs> remember Justin Guarni? Sure do. The winner of American Idol 2002 is. Oh, just say it. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> And, and I was one of those people who was watching, like, for the love of God, man, yeah. just say it, <laughs> tell us. <laughs> oh, my God, those results shows yeah. were some of the worst television you will ever see. And when I went back and I went back and watched this, I was reminded of the co-host with Ryan Seacrest, Brian, Brian Dunkelman. Dunkelman. And I thought, where? what happened where to him? I, I always thought he, he was fired or let go or they decided they wanted only one host on. But I did a little digging online. The best I could tell is that he actually quit the show to do other things. Um, <laughs> to take, and what to, take, other things? to take over the industry. I mean, and, and you know, and it ended up being, you know, this incredibily huge phenomenon. missed opportunity for him. <laughs> Um, But I do think it created a culture, an interesting kind of critical culture around music where people watching TV at home are suddenly thinking about performance in different ways Mm -hmm. and assessing performance in different ways, trying to anticipate what the judges might say. Uh, You know, words entered the lexicon like pitchy (laughs) Um, and dog. Um, (laughs) It's a no for me, dog. (laughs) It's a no for me. It's a no for me, dog. (laughs) That meme will live on. But a sense sense of, you know, people watching pop music as a uh, as something to be assessed critically I do think is an interesting legacy for for that show now the next question of course American Idol is coming back mm-hmm. it's coming back on ABC it's still going to have Ryan Seacrest it's going to have your judges are going to be Katy Perry Luke Bryan and Lionel Richie um the question of whether I watch it is going to be the question of whether everyone else watches it because the reason I ever watched the show was because of the conversations surrounding it. I mm-hmm. wanted to know those conversations and be privy to them as somebody who covers pop culture. But if it's a niche thing, like the last umpteen seasons of The Voice, frankly, mm-hmm. those didn't feel so culturally relevant to me that I, I that I would watch it for its entertainment value alone. I, we, we've been kind of jumping around a little bit, but I want to talk about one more artist we lost at the end of the year because we, uh, we didn't talk much about him um, when it happened because it happened over the holidays. It was sort of like one last finger from 2016 to yeah. us, and that, <laughs> and that was George Michael. Yeah. I was never a huge Wham! fan, but when, it, when he went out broke out on his own, I, I honestly thought, my God, I feel like he's saving, in my mind anyway, was almost saving pop music, hmm. especially with Listen Without Prejudice and you take a song like Freedom. I remember the first time I heard that song, the first time I saw the video, and in both cases, I just stopped dead in my tracks and thought, this is George Michael? And I don't know, it was just this very eye-opening moment for me that became this entry point to a world that I hadn't been paying much attention to before.
I think George Michael throughout his, his, especially the latter portion of his career, seemed really tortured by the desire to be taken seriously as an artist. Mm -hmm. and, and that tends to yield very mixed results in terms of quality. I think even the title, he got dinged really hard for that title, Listen Without Prejudice, because yeah. it had... It had this kind of Terence Trent Darby-esque like, like gloss of pretentiousness to yeah. it. But, you know, at, at the same time, like I always felt like he was always at odds with who he was as a pop star and who he wanted to be as an artist. And, and I, I felt like that caused him, caused him a lot of anguish and anxiety over the course of, of his career, that I think he had a really difficult time reconciling the joy of a lot of these early releases with the more somber qualities of a lot of his later records. He always struck me as a very, very conflicted man. And I hope that as the whole of his career, that there are more and more celebrations of him as a really kind of terrifically groundbreaking and interesting and thoughtful pop star who really, we talked about Beyonce earlier, somebody who could have coasted on one thing and worked and worked and worked with mixed commercial results, worked and worked and worked to be more than, than people thought he was. That's, that inner struggle you talk about is all documented in the in the song Freedom. I mean, that's yeah. what it's all about. And and this is the thing that I discovered as I started digging more into his work is that he he was a serious musician. He played oh, yeah. many of the instruments on um, that entire record in the song Freedom. He was he wrote the song. He produced it. He played drums, other percussion, guitars, bass, keyboards. He did the horn arrangements. I, I think it's tragic that George Michael kind of missed out on poptimism. And kind of missed out on like the critical embrace of pop music as a work of incredible craft and skill and talent. I think pop music is more critically embraced in much more critically embraced in 2017 than it was in 1987. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he had he kind of come along at a different time, he could have been taken as seriously as he wanted to be. Well, let's let's go out on freedom. Um, it was great talking with both of you. Yeah. Thank you for um, having Thank me. you for doing this, and um, it's been a sweet ride. And we look, <laughs> look back at the past decade in music. Uh, what a ride! Yeah. Uh, for NPR Music and All Songs Considered, uh, along with Sydney Madden, Stephen Thompson, I'm Robin Hilton. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Delta Airlines, offering Delta Comfort Plus, including a wide selection of unlimited complimentary snacks and drinks. Delta aims to make your travel experience as easy and comfortable as possible, so you arrive refreshed and ready to take on the world.